Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. Your view of the world affects what you do in life, doesn't it? We're going to start off in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. It says Paul said this, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes right in his sight, makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. And as the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the message of Jesus. Well, no wonder. There's so much to it that uh, affects our life. And he says, I'm not ashamed of it. First of all, it clarifies salvation. The message of Jesus clarifies that you are made right with God by your faith in what Christ did for you, not because of your performance or what you might do, thinking that uh, that would make you right with God. It's not about personal performance. It's about faith in God. It clarifies morality and immorality, right from wrong. The book of Romans does not make room for exceptions and anecdotal reasoning to compromise the biblical view of morality, of salvation, and what it means to be a Christ follower. Now, all of this is known as a biblical worldview. And that's what we're gonna be talking about here this morning, having a biblical worldview worldview. You say, why would you want to talk about that? Because quite frankly, the statistics show that within the church, not just our church, but like the big C church, that the percentage of believers who actually hold to a biblical worldview is actually quite low. And so I wanted to address that and talk about what it is and the importance of it and embracing it. You know, for Christianity to represent Jesus how many know it has to have the same views as Jesus has? If your Christianity is representing Jesus, if you're saying, oh, I believe in Jesus, then you need to believe in what Jesus believes in. Come on, are you with me? Jesus affirmed God the Father, God the Son, of course, and God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Jesus affirmed holiness and never condoned exceptions. He forgave sin, but didn't condone it. Jesus talked about hell, He talked about heaven and he talked about judgment. Jesus never denied the virgin birth and was even accused of being an illegitimate son by religious leaders when they said, well, we know who our father is. Jesus affirmed the 10 commandments and even corrected religious leaders for compromising on honoring their parents. If you say yes to Jesus, you have to say yes to Jesus's view of the world. Mm Mm-hmm. Y'all wake up and say amen or something. All right, all right, that's better. I feel like I'm in my church and says somewhere else. So what's the worldview? Well, I looked up a definition to help you out, okay? You ready? Ready to type with your thumbs real quick? Here we go. It's a fundamental cognitive orientation of an individual or society encompassing the natural philosophy. All right, I made up a different one. It's a little easier to remember. It's the framework of ideas and beliefs through which an individual interprets the world and then interacts with it. 
In other words, this is what I believe about the world. This is what I believe about the universe. This is what I believe about everything in life. And then what you believe about the world is going to determine how you interact with the world. And so your worldview is affecting every choice of life. It affects your values. It affects right from wrong, your understanding of it. The origin of life is included in your worldview. And then what happens at death? That's also part of your worldview. It includes the nature of man, the purpose of life, what you think about God, what you think about the devil. And here's also another really important thing about your worldview. Your worldview affects what you think about the church and how you interact with the church. All of that is included in your worldview. A biblical worldview affirms the values and the beliefs of Scripture. If the church loses a biblical worldview, then it simply exists to be a social club with a social gospel while not leading the lost to be found in a new life in Jesus. If people don't hear the gospel that Paul didn't apologize for, then salvation becomes a passing idea and loses its power. Eternity is ignored and the cross has lost its relevance. You know, there's a lot of things that we enjoy in church life. And part of that is getting to meet people, build relationships, have fellowship, have friendship, have support, all those good things. But to take uh, the, the gospel and to not have a Christian worldview means that you're gonna turn the church into something that is simply all about that. And it's all about my fellowship, my friendships. It becomes just this social connection place when it's meant to be so much more. A biblical worldview means you engage the world from God's perspective. That's really what it's about. It is about what is God, how do you see the world? How do you see people? Now, Lord, with that perspective, how do I operate in it? You know, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night to check him out. Obviously, he's heard different things and, and uh, he makes a comment about who he thinks Jesus is, etc. And then this happens, John chapter three and verse three. Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I love how Jesus, first of all, answers a question that wasn't even asked. <laughs> he just gets right to the heart of the matter. He's like, I know what you're here for. I know what you wanna, you wanna know about the kingdom of God. You wanna understand me. And he just cuts to the chase and gets right, right after it. But when he does that, and when he makes that statement, in his statement, it includes Jesus's worldview. And in Jesus's worldview, there are two places that people can be. You are either in the kingdom or you're not. That's it. There's no mishmash in the middle. There's no conglomerate. There's no little bit of this, little bit of that. The gospel is not a DIY kind of deal you know, this, this, this isn't going to Subway and saying, yeah, I'll have the pickles of the tomatoes. No, I don't like onions. We're not going to have onions. To, that, that's not what it's about. He just, this is the way it is, in the kingdom or you're not in the kingdom. John chapter 3, verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man um, will be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. How many thankful for eternal life? Come on. For God so loved the world. I know you, this is not gonna be a very familiar verse, but I'll read it anyway. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But let's go on. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds are exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifest as having been wrought in God. This is the worldview of the Bible. Either people have Christ in their life and have an eternal future in heaven in God's presence, or they are under judgment, are far from God, and the eternity that awaits them is separated from God as well. Our role then is to do our best in life, to reach as many people as possible with the gospel. That's the mission of the church. That's the mission of every Christian. The purpose of the church is to be a lifeboat, not a cruise ship. Come on. We are on a rescue mission, not a vacation. See, if your mentality sees the church as a cruise ship, you're asking very different questions than the ones that understand it to be a rescue mission boat. You see, if you're in a cruise ship mentality, then when you come to church, you're asking questions like, will I be able to sit in my favorite seat? Will they sing my favorite song? You know, will they, will they have a message that uh, maybe relates to what I've been reading this week? And, uh, you know, I wonder if they'll serve the coffee I like to drink at the end of the service. You ask very different questions when you are on a cruise ship than when you're on a rescue mission because your questions are all centered about what are they going to do for me? What are they going to do for me? What are they going to do for me? When you're in a rescue mission, you're asking questions about um, who can I reach? Who can I help? Who do I know that needs this? Who do I know that is also lost? Who do I know that is far from God? Who do I know that I believe that my reaching out can make a difference in their life? Completely different set of questions. The purpose of the church is to be a lifeboat, not a cruise ship. After Jesus goes through the brutality of the cross to pay for the sins of mankind, the end of the age, at the end of the age, God is not going to change his position and say, it's okay, just let everybody in. They're all basically good. That would be a slap in the face to what Jesus did to pay for the redemption of the world. People without Jesus in the Bible are referred to as lost and under judgment already. Yes, God loves them, but that doesn't change their particular situation in life. That worldview is vital to how you do life. Paul said that the gospel revealed righteousness, the righteousness of God by faith, not by performance. So even the idea that says people are basically good and God is forgiving, it's all gonna work out. That is a performance message. And that is not the message of the gospel. Listen, the gospel of Jesus reveals that it's by what? faith. It's what Jesus did. It's accepting him as, as the sacrifice on your behalf. It's not saying you've done a good enough job. It's saying that God did a good enough job, and we put our total trust in what he did for us. 
You receive salvation, you don't achieve salvation. You receive a new identity as a child of God, you don't have to achieve it or perform to obtain it. Everybody is trying to make their identity, make their mark in life. Well, I'm gonna choose my identity. This is what I'm gonna identify with. This is what I'm gonna identify, this is me. How many know it's a lot of work to maintain an identity that you choose? It's so wonderful in Christianity that I don't have to choose an identity. It's already been chosen for me. When I receive Jesus, I'm called a son of God or a daughter of God, as you ladies are. We are children of God because of what Jesus did. We receive our identity. We don't have to work to create something. Now, scriptures warn about not deviating from these fundamentals. And I'm gonna give you three different verses where uh, the scriptures give warning about not deviating from these things. First Timothy 6 and verse 20. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing, they wandered from the faith. He says, listen, you know, there's opposing ideas out there. They're godless chatter. It's, it's falsely called knowledge. You know, think of opposing ideas. I mean, there's bazillions of them that we could, we could talk about. But I had an interaction with someone um, not too long ago that I met, and their, their background was a, a Sikh background. And the humorous thing of it all is when I met with this person, they tried their best to convert me. Um, <laughs> it didn't work, just so you know, it didn't work. But here's the thing about my conversation with this person. Basically, everything that they said ignored the reality of sin and the need for a savior. Absolutely everything that they said totally ignored that in their worldview. Opposing ideas are often about how to try to explain the world without embracing the biblical worldview that calls out the fact that there is sin separating us from a holy God and the need for a savior for us to be forgiven. How do we explain creation without a creator? How do we explain evil without judging or calling sin, sin? How do we explain truth without pointing to a fundamental unchangeable truth that is an absolute truth, the existence of God and his word? Colossians chapter two and verse eight says, see to it, that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Again, we could talk about all kinds of different examples, but probably one of the uh, most fresh ones, if I could put it that way, that is very popular is just this, this notion, this idea about truth. You have your truth, I have my truth. Ever heard that before? Oh, you, that's your truth. Somebody says, well, that's your truth. I have my truth. And then the idea that you can have your truth, I can have my truth, and they're, they're both in some way sort of compatible, and they're both, put it more specifically, they're both true at the same time. So it's like, I'm gonna look at your shirt. I think I see blue and white. You know, somebody else looks at his shirt, and they said, I see red and white. That's my truth. That's my. How many know one of us is wrong? Come on. It's just the way it is. 
There, you cannot live in a world where we're gonna look at the same thing and then have completely different explanations that, that are at uh, extremes from one another and then say, it's all true. No, it's not. Somebody's wrong, therefore somebody is deceived. If you have your truth and I have my truth, those truths are not the same. One of us is wrong. As though truth, and here's the deal, as though truth is a matter of personal choice and all of us should have the right to choose our truth, because we're all about rights, aren't we? I mean, that's, that's the world, the world we, we live in. Well, instead of thinking about your truth and my truth, what needs to be talked about is the truth. What are the absolutes? And that's what a biblical worldview gives you. It gives you the truth, the unchangeable truths, the absolutes out of which we build our lives. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, we are destroying speculations, not just running from them. We're destroying them. And every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Speculations. These are ideas that are, that are not biblical. Paul said, we're, we're destroying them. That means, that means we're taking these speculations and we are intellectually tearing them apart and showing how wrong that they are. We're, we're, we're kind of sucking the wind out of the balloon, so to speak. It means that we're not just running away from them. We're not afraid of them. We're not, we're not afraid of encountering them and discussing them, but we are willing to give God's word and show how a speculation can be so far from the truth. I had a recent conversation with someone around the topic of same-sex parents. And this person said, there's a kid at my school who has two moms and doesn't have a dad. My first thought was, well, that's biologically wrong. But it's also a worldview that this person was sharing. And it's based on a lie. She explained to me that the two moms love each other. And so in her mind, it like, made sense and it was going to be okay. And it was like, you know, something that we should condone or whatever. Now, first of all, I'm going to tell you what I didn't do and then I'll explain to you what I did do. First thing I, I did not do, I didn't simply give her the law of God, okay? So what is the law of God? Well, in the scriptures and what our church believes as well is that marriage is defined as the union of a man and a woman, period, full stop, that's the Christian worldview. What I did do, though, was I took an approach of giving her God's wisdom to understand that her justification was not right. I said to her, you said she doesn't have a father, she just has two mothers. But actually, she does have a father. In fact, God has made this world so that everyone has a father and a mother. It's sad, and this was my explanation. I said, it is sad though, that for this girl, she may never get to know or live with her father. God's best would be for her to know both her father and her mother. And this situation isn't the best. And then I just talked to her about knowing these things, but remaining kind towards her friend. 
I believe that the church has to get excellent at explaining the wisdom of God. And in the laws and the rules of God are his wisdom. And that's the place where we can do, as, as the scripture says, destroy speculations. Destroy speculations. You don't have to compromise the biblical worldview to be kind or relate to people who are not living with that same view. In other words, the church doesn't need to take on a, a, an attitude of condemning and, and, and you know what I'm saying, and, and, all, and all, all the rest, kind of a mean spirit, I'll, I'll put it that way, but instead can hold to a biblical worldview and still be gracious towards those who are living outside of it. After all, the Bible says the kindness of God leads people to repentance. Disagreement isn't hatred. And for you to be told that it is, is simply manipulation. Now, speculations, what are they about? They are questioning and reasoning that goes against truth. That's basically what speculation is. So for instance, the devil's in the garden, comes to Adam and Eve, has a conversation with Eve. What does he say? Has God said? Of course God's already said. But what's he doing? He's questioning against the truth. He's trying to reason against that, that truth. So here's what a speculation does. It asks misleading questions in the face of what God has already declared. That's what it does. It asks misleading questions. Even believers can speculate about things in the scriptures that God has already been clear about. Let me give you an example out of, out of our sort of, if you will, recent history. Um, there's a contemporary of Billy Graham Billy Graham, of course, rose, you know, predominantly in the United States as an evangelist and filling stadiums, et cetera, et cetera, and, and then around the world. But a contemporary of his is a guy by the name of C.B. Templeton. You may have never heard of him. And, and if you have heard of him, don't say you have because it shows your age. Anyway, moving on. C.B. Templeton was rising up in Canada, holding, you know, big evangelistic crusades in Toronto and things like this. But eventually... Um, he was, you know, in, involved in, in missions and this and that. He goes to like Africa. He sees, you know, starving children, all these sorts of things. And then he, he has a misleading question that goes through his mind. It goes like this. How can there be a God of love when I'm seeing this? At any rate, that, what, that misleading question, that speculation, basically was what led him to unbelief and then accusation towards God, and he falls from faith. He falls from walking with God. Interesting thing is he was interviewed, interviewed towards the end of his life um, by the author of The Case for Christ. Thank you, Lee Strobel. And if, if you read The Case for Christ, you know, the opening of, of that book, there's a conversation that he's having with C.B. Templeton where he, he literally breaks down and cries. And he makes this comment. He says, I miss him. I miss him. This is a backslider's view of Jesus. The question led to unbelief and accusation towards God because of a faulty premise that it was coming from. The faulty premise is one that says, God is in control of everything that happens on the earth he is running the show and we are just spectators of what God is doing. 
In other words, everything that happens is in the will of God and the will of God is what is always happening. And it's a worldview problem because it's inaccurate. Genesis chapter one, verse 28. God wanted good to come from them saying, give birth to many, grow in number. Look at this, fill the earth and look what's it say next. And go ahead, read it out. And rule over it. Who's ruling on the earth? Yeah, we are, that's right. Rule over the fish of the sea, rule over the birds of the sky, rule over everything that moves on the, on the earth. Psalms 115 verse 16, the heavens are the heavens of the Lord. But look at this, the earth he has given to the sons of men. That's right, that's right. See, the question that C.B. Templeton should have asked is this, what would God want me to do to help meet this need? How can I make a difference to this situation? I am called to rule on the earth. How can I use that leadership to make a difference with these people in this particular need? The Bible teaches us that God gave the earth to mankind and told us to rule over everything on the earth. So if there is a need, it is our responsibility to meet that need and not blame God for the need. Now, contrast that to the founder of World Vision, a man by the name of Bob Pierce, who also saw people in need, children starving, etc., and then said this, let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. And that was the motivation out of which he started World Vision. And, um, you know, of course, the rest is history, huge, huge ministry. There's a guy in, in the scriptures who Jesus talks to and, and you know, he's doing really well in life. And, and then he says, you know what? I, I just need to have bigger barns. I, I just, I've got so much going on. I just need more room to store these things. In Luke chapter 12, verse 19, he says, I'll say to myself, you know, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And, um, and Jesus, of course, says, you, you don't realize, you know, you might be rich towards the world, but you're poor towards God and your life is just about done. Well, I think this is something that can happen to people even in the church world. If we don't embrace a biblical worldview of a lost world, then we can be subject to simply enjoying our salvation and then living for pleasure. And pleasure literally can become the focus of our lives. In fact, if you don't have a biblical worldview and an understanding that God not only wants to get you to heaven, but he wants you to play a part in serving the mission of seeing the gospel go to the world, then you'll relate to the church in a very passive way. Without a conviction about your role in the kingdom of God, convenience will trump convictions and pleasure will overtake purpose. And being in worship becomes then a matter of convenience. And yet God's first call to you and I is to do what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. You see, we don't just do this, we need this. Come on. We don't just do this, we need this. And if you think Christianity is just about getting informed about Bible verses and don't understand, no, no, equally as important is the participation in an experience of worship. You're missing something vital. And people that keep their kids out of church because we're going to sports and we're going here and we're going there and once in a while we'll drop in. You're teaching your kids they don't need to love God. You don't need to love God. You, you can know God, you can know about God, you can say a prayer of salvation 
but you're not living a life of worship. At any rate, that's another message. I don't know why you got me off on that. I can barely finish this one and I keep going. All right. Being in worship should never be a matter of convenience, but of conviction. And all the options that center around the pleasures of life can become our excuses for a lack of participation, even in our own personal world, where it's like, oh, there's just so much going on in my world that, oh man, I can hardly find time to read my Bible and pray. Well, just look at how many hours you spent on Facebook Marketplace and maybe rethink that. Our money follows our heart. And when our heart has gone astray, the financial management will reflect it. Generosity towards the church, working to minister the gospel, is replaced then with the pursuit of personal gain. And I want to say this to you. One day, you're going to walk into eternity and you will thank God for every dollar you gave, every service you attended, every time you drove your teenager to youth or your kids to church, and you'll be so grateful for every outreach you volunteered in in that moment. And there won't be one sacrifice that you made for the gospel that you'll regret. A biblical worldview is how you interpret culture. That's my last point, unbelievably, with 30 seconds left, but we're gonna ignore that, aren't we? Amen. I'm pushing for all I can get here. A biblical worldview is how you interpret culture. We don't let culture interpret our worldview. We interpret culture from our worldview. From our biblical worldview, we interpret what goes on in the world around us. Our view of evil is clear. Our view of what's going on is clear. The culture around us doesn't know what to do with things like evil or things like sin. And in fact, they try to take those words out of culture, don't we? We don't want to call things sin. We want to rename them, make them socially acceptable and convenient and all the rest of it. And so they deny the creator God to whom we are accountable. Well, if you deny a creator God to whom you are accountable, who are you accountable to? Oh, we're accountable to public opinion. Well, if you haven't noticed, public opinion shifts about every, I don't know, five to 10 years. And so it's, it's not really a foundation to build your life on. They deny scripture. Therefore, they lose the grounds from which to have a moral compass. What's your moral compass? Public opinion. What people think is right and wrong. What's going on in the world today? Well, we've got one group of people that has one opinion. We have another group of people that has another opinion. Now we have division. Why? Because there's public opinion, but it's all going in different directions. There's no moral compass. It's a mishmash. They deny sin. After all, who am I to tell you that what you did was right or what you did was wrong? They embrace lawlessness under a rule that says, well, as long as it's not hurting anyone, are you kidding me? That's impossible. That is impossible. That is so illogical to say that. As long as it's not hurting anyone, you can't have lawlessness without hurting someone. And now the supreme goal becomes, I don't want to offend anybody. It's like a cartoon I saw recently. A parent looks at the kid and says, well, what do you say when you want to get your way? Looking for the word, please. And the kid looks up and says, I'm offended. <laughs> <laughs> But our view of evil in the world is clear. Romans chapter five and verse 12 says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. As the scripture says, we've all sinned. We all need God's grace. Here's the thing. When sin entered the world, it wasn't like this little bottle cap entering that table. It's more like taking a drop of 
food coloring and putting it in a glass of water. And what happens? All of the water is affected. And that's what the scripture describes as how sin affected the world. Sin into the world, it's changed the world. It's changed the entire world. What did uh, Paul do in Romans 1? He interpreted culture from scripture and we're called to do the same. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel gives the answers so desperately needed in life. The gospel explains there's a creator God. The gospel explains the fall of man or the sin of man. It tells us about the devil, why there's evil in the world. It talks about that there's a sinful nature. Uh, the gospel explains that people are lost and are, and are deceived and, and need their eyes open to see the truth. Uh, that, that yes, they were created by God and we were created in the image of God, but we are a broken image of God. Forgiveness and salvation is only in Christ. We're never going to make a difference if our goal is to fit our Christian worldview into culture. It's not to blend and to accommodate. The message of the gospel of Jesus has with it a worldview, and it's not one of lawlessness and fitting into media opinion. God loves you, and he's not leaving you helpless and broken, but will forgive you, will deliver you from evil through faith in Jesus and give you a new start in life. Our gospel is a message of hope. It's a message of deliverance. It's a message of new beginnings. It's a message that explains sin and evil in the world. It's a message of, of grace and the understanding of, of God's favor in your life. It's a message that calls us to an accountability to what Jesus did on the cross and has done for us. It's a message that calls us to change not only our thinking, but our beliefs and our actions to correspond with that new thinking. But it stops being a message that calls people to change if we change the message to fit in to where people are already at. 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. Let's stand as we take a moment to pray. You know, there's one other thing about the Christian worldview that is so unique to the world. And that is this, it includes eternity. It includes eternity. There's no other worldviews that quite address that the way that the gospel of Jesus does. It includes eternity. It talks about the fact that there is eternal life, but also eternal damnation. It talks about the fact that when we receive Jesus, that eternity is taken care of. The number one fear of people, what? Fear of dying that's removed because of Jesus. That's removed because of Jesus. It's the beautiful thing about the gospel is that it answers everything about where our life is at. Just bow your heads as we take a moment of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this word. Thank you so much, God, that because of Jesus, we have a clarity about the world that, Lord, we don't need to live in confusion. We don't need to live in um, misunderstanding, Lord, we certainly don't need to live in a culture and think like the culture that changes its opinion all the time. But instead, Father, I thank you for a foundation of truth in our life. Lord, may we, like Paul, declare not just with our words, but with our life, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. May we live a life that unashamedly 
preaches the gospel, that unashamedly lives for Jesus and represents Jesus with clarity so that our message, Lord, would be life-changing and that our experience with the gospel would be, even as Paul said, the power of God for salvation. Father, we want to see your power. Lord, may our thinking be aligned with the biblical worldview and may our message be aligned with the message of Jesus without compromise. With their heads bowed, I want to, I want to pray for those that may be here that it's your day. It's your opportunity to say yes to Jesus. You know, you might have even been the person who your viewpoint of Christianity was that it was about performance, that it was about, I'm just gonna try to live a good life and go to church and you know just be a good person. That's what it's about. Paul said that, you know, the gospel shows us that salvation is by faith, not by performance. And maybe that's something that you need to respond to God to today. Maybe that's the reason why in your own life, you're not experiencing Jesus the way you know others are because somehow in your mind, it's still about you. And I just submit to you, if you could let that go and pray with me today and say, Lord, it's not about me. It's all about you. And I'm putting my complete trust in that, that the Holy Spirit would do a revolutionary work in your life and shift you out of carrying a weight that you can't carry and instead giving it back to Jesus who already took it for you on the cross. With their heads bowed, I'm gonna pray a prayer of salvation. How many here would say, Pastor, you know what? Today's my day. I need to join you in that prayer. Can you just give me a wave right where you're standing? Today's my day. I need to join you in that prayer. Okay, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you went to the cross died for the sins of the world, including mine. I ask you to forgive me. I invite you into my life. I confess you as my Lord and Savior. And I'm going to follow you with all of my heart. I put my full trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationemmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.